I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, and I am getting really excited about something. You know that excitement you feel, or felt rather, when you were a kid and found out you were going to Disneyland or, or on a big trip with the family? Yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> Why am I excited, you ask? West Edge Design Fair is coming up. I have not been able to say that for three years. I have been involved with West Edge since year, I want to say it's two or three, and I'm not completely sure, but it's been a while. The show is coming up September 16th through the 18th in Dallas, Texas, and it's the first edition in Dallas which is really exciting considering my background in Texas. In future episodes of the podcast, you will have the chance to hear from some of the country's greatest design talent discussing issues of design that you might not have heard in the past. That's the objective. It always has been. So I want to share a past conversation from West Edge. This one was from 2015. This features Fu Teng Cheng of Cheng Design, the South Bay architecture firm. I, I'm, I'm keeping the preamble brief for me because I am, I'm going to include my thoughts from the original post, which, which, is, which is kind of fun too. And, and you can tell it's the original post by how my voice has changed. It's crazy. You know how weird it is when you hear yourself on a recording? It's like that for me too. Only now, this was from, what, six years ago, and uh, it sounds really different. Enjoy this talk from West Edge Design Fair 2015, right after this. For well over a year now, you have been hearing incredible conversations, interviews, and panels with amazing creative talent as part of our Wellness and Design Thought Leadership series presented by Thermosol. It has been, and continues to be, an absolute joy working with the entire team at Thermosol from the top down. This multi-generational family business has been producing the gold standard in steam generators, saunas, steam showers, and steam shower accessories for decades. Thermosol is the original steam shower with technology that is state-of-the-art, made and manufactured in the United States. The company's history with steam showers started by David Altman in 1958. Murray Altman acquired Thermosol's steam bath division in 1989, and the company is now led by Mitch Altman from their world-class production facility in Round Rock, Texas. The most successful designers and architects are using steam showers to maximize wellness, relaxation, and enjoyment for their clients. Thermosol is a staunch advocate for the design trade, and I am so proud to have them as a presenting partner of Convo by Design and the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. If not familiar with the entire range of Thermosol products, please check out thermosol.com. In October 2015, the West Edge Design Fair took over the legendary Barker Hangar in Santa Monica, California. Co-founders of this event, Megan Riley and Troy Hansen brought a remarkable slate of panels and keynotes to the West Edge Design Fair now in its third year. The panels covered a wide range of topics and featured a true variety of voices, concepts, and ideas. Convo by Design is proud to have partnered with West Edge for the second year now, and part of this uh, partnership includes bringing you recordings from these panels. So, enjoy. This is Evolution, translating creativity into form. 
Industry expert Fu Tung Cheng of Cheng Design shares three decades of experience progressing from a small remodeling shop to his present-day award-winning residential design and architectural firm. Fu Tung Cheng will share the inside story of that evolution and show examples of how you can play directly with construction materials, including concrete, his most recent favorite. Have fun with your own hands and discover new ways of channeling that edifying experience, not only to your clients, but also perhaps by bringing products to market. Learn about his experience of both successes and failures and how you can ensure success through your own creative journey. Featuring Fu Tung Cheng. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for uh, joining us at West Edge. I want to introduce our next panel discussion, um, Evolution Translating Creativity into Form. Fu Tung Cheng of Cheng Design, we're very pleased to have him here. He also has a, an exhibition, Shapecrete, in the main hall. So without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Fu Tung. Thank you very much, Megan. Um, it's, it's a real pleasure to be here. I, I have to thank uh, Megan and uh, Troy for uh, setting up such a wonderful show. I think everybody, the feedback has been great. Um, uh, the booth that we have is um, sort of the tail end of the story here. And um, the idea of evolution to me is, is the expression of uh, sort of my career starting on a very humble place, you'll see. And, um, gradually working uh, with materials on, on a small scale. And slowly, 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 just uh, it, it was a very long evolution of working toward um, product design, toward um, doing architecture mainly uh, at this point in time. And so the um, start of my talk, will you'll see the humble beginnings and um, uh, you'll see the gradual transition of my own house. Um, and then how that migrated into larger and larger scale. And part of the um, sort of principles I try to teach uh, younger designers is that uh, to really uh, get out of the digital world and looking at um, uh, the, the way you can just order things um, and try to work with your hands, get analog again, uh, get familiar with materials, uh, fall in love with materials, and that way uh, it begins to inform you of how to use those and, and opportunities and design come up uh, unexpectedly wherever you're working. So that's how I got my start, at least. And um, uh, he, here's my uh, first laboratory in 1971. And uh, that's me there looking like uh, sort of a, a settler Eskimo on a, on a tract of land. This happened to be in Albany, California. Uh, I still live there today. Um, not quite in the same condition, the house, but uh, that was my main mode of transportation, the Vespa motor scooter. Um, and um, about five years later, uh, this was the interior. I had borrowed a, um, a, a stove I found off the street and uh, the cabinets were all found on the street and the countertop was uh, something I scavenged from the, the, the local junkyard. So uh, the, the floor was uh, uh, used AstroTurf. Um, 
And so this was my kitchen for a, approximately five or eight years. Um, and gradually I started working on it. Um, that was my couch for a good 10 years, which was a 69 Dodge uh, rear seat van, uh, the, the, the rear seat of a van. And um, that was the first mold for the first countertop for this kitchen. And um, uh, I, I couldn't afford really, I couldn't even afford to buy um, Formica at that time. Uh, a Formica countertop was out of my budget. So I got Formica scraps uh, from the local Formica uh, countertop maker. He gave me his scraps and I made a form out of it. And that's where I cast the first concrete countertop. And, uh, and because concrete was so cheap, it was uh, at that time $1.50 a bag for a 50 pound bag of concrete. So why not use that, right? So um, I made this elaborate mold with the help of my friends and the piece weighed about 1,800 pounds, so I couldn't figure out how to flip it over <laughs> and get it into the space. But here was the result. So um, this was um, almost uh, 30 years ago that I, I did this kitchen, and I, I came to this kitchen, I came from this kitchen to this, to this uh, fair. Uh, I'm still using it today, and my house is about the same size, about 1,300 square feet, but um, uh, this was, um, using, if you see the beam here, it has a hole in it because that beam came from the local junior high school that they were tearing down. And the glass was all from the Berkeley City dump and I recut the glass and, and, and made, made the, filled in the glass. Um, and my intention at the time was um, basically based on an ecological principle of reuse. But uh, I wanted to have good design along with the reuse, not just use the material uh, straight out of the, the junkyard. Um, I wanted to reform it, reposition it. So the, the floor there is a gymnasium floor of that same junior high school, which um, I tore up board by board and reinstalled board by board. Um, so I had a lot more time than money at that time. Um, so. Uh, the hood I made is actually a plenum, a glass plenum. You can kind of barely get a glimpse of it up there. Uh, it's a plaster, I, I plastered that hood and I carved into it. I just made carvings into it. Um, uh, and and I, I got an old wolf uh, stove, which, which only cost $600 then because it was not legal. It was a restaurant stove and it was used. So um, uh, I'm still using that stove today, although it doesn't have a you know, it doesn't, you have to light it. There's no pilot light. Um, but that was before Sub-Zero bought Wolf. So that was the original Wolf. So um, this was the first concrete countertop uh, that I poured. So this is circa 1984, 85. Um, and it's held up very well since then. It's had one refinish uh, since then, which took about two or three hours to repolish it out and put a new sealer on it. But um, my idea about design was I like to cook, so I, I made the countertop as sort of a landscape, if you will, uh, of practicality, really. Um, the water will drain to one sink. Um, those grooves are so that a cutting board will fit and slide along there. 
The, um, the, the stripes you see down the center are, are brass rails so that uh, the cast iron pots won't chip the concrete. So all these things were thought out as um, a design, design necessities for the limitation of the material. So it's concrete, you have to know what the limitations are, right? It's not, um, it's not granite, uh, it's not a man-made uh, uh, quartzite material, but its big advantage is that you can form it. It, 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 it has a sense of mass. And um, this, this, this humble little house, which I still live in and I love, I love the scale of it, I love the size of it. I, this kitchen has uh, served me well all these years. Um, what I realize now is that um, by working at a small scale on small projects and putting the design intent in such a small area, it began to inform how I would design later. And um, all the little experiences that I accumulated by creating that mold myself, getting the concrete, mixing it myself, figuring out the mix design, all those things would come into play later. And because it's a fresh idea at the time to take concrete, I had to figure out most of the time concrete was a construction material, not an expressive material. So um, I had to figure out, well, how can I make it more expressive? What can I use to make it smoother without having to grind it and polish it and things like that? And uh, those kind of notions set my mind off. So I said, okay, I'll use used for mica because it's so smooth. If we cast against it, the concrete will be as smooth as the formica. Okay, that works. So this whole thing was made in that mold with the used scrap formica, and, uh, which cost me nothing, but the time and effort was used into making that mold. And later you'll see in the houses that I'm showing you um, that one thing I thought was a great leveler in a certain way was a um, Time Warner AOL you know, CEO um, who, could, who could want anything, wanted something that I had, which was my kitchen. You know, in spite of the fact it's only 14 feet long and his was 30 feet long, he wanted something of that flavor, of the sense of scale, the sense of uh, artisanship that was crafted rather than manufactured. But it didn't deny the fact that he still needed appliances and, and, and uh, uh, he wanted all the technical wonders of, of um, having a USB port in the countertop and this and that, but they wanted the flavor of this, the tactile sensation, the connection with the earth and the mass that you don't usually find in manufactured products because manufactured products have a scale that they have to abide by in order to ship it, uh, in order to make it cheaper, all these kind of things. So this comes back to just human effort and labor and uh, being there, making it on the site. So anyway, that's the beginnings. This was the beginnings. So this, uh, by the way, was just taken six months ago, <laughs> and that's me. Uh, and this is in front of my house. And so I'm just showing you the span now. I bought that house in 1971. Um, and uh, to my wife's chagrin, I'm still working on it. So um, I promised her a, a new garden entry um, on her 50th birthday. And, um, and 
you know, she's now 56, so it's been, <laughs> it's been, a, it's been a little struggle to get this thing done. But here I want to show you that um, even now I, I am working, trying to experiment on new ways to create things. So what am I creating here? This was, uh, I've always wanted, I've always loved moon doors. In China they have moon doors, right? And it's very impractical because you walk through a moon door and it's a full circle and you either have to step over it or they have to cut the moon door so it looks like a keyhole. You know, and I didn't like either one of those, but I wanted to make a moon door for my front entry. And um, so what you're seeing here is a big foam, piece of foam, that I drew up, and um, uh, we put it on a computer, and they CNC machined out that shape, okay? And then that's just one half of it. So um, here you see that it's, it's this piece of foam, and I've smoothed it out. I've sanded all the foam down, and that's the second half. And those two halves are going to join together. And um, I have to reinforce the pins for the door that you'll see. Okay? And um, all this is so that that pin will be strong enough to hold that door and be captured by the little bit of concrete that's in this door. Um, so anyway, it's a foam, basically a big foam knockout. And here you see now, I've, uh, I've, I've squeezing those foam, uh, the foam knockout, I am squeezing it together with these whalers, just like you would do a freeway wall or a freeway column, all right? So they're being held and squeezed together. And then I'm gonna seal up right here, seal this up with plywood, and I'm gonna pour the concrete from the top. And all this is um, a carbon fiber rebar it's made from carbon fibers because it's very thin, and the concrete's very thin. If you use steel here, it'll, um, if there's any cracks, it'll start to migrate. Water will migrate down and, and, and break open the concrete, see, in time. So by using carbon fiber, um, that is, you know, is impervious to water uh, seepage. Okay, so here, um, I w the foam was supposed to just pop out. Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> it didn't pop out at all. So I was stuck there uh, digging this out like an Eskimo digging out ice. Um, and um, you could make like 10,000 foam cups out of this thing. So anyway, you can see the big pile of foam that ended up my house. I thought it was just going to pop apart. Uh, nice and clean like, like two little clamshells, you know. And it didn't. So I had to dig it out, and you see it's stuck. So um, the, the surface stuck on there. Fortunately, I was able to finally clean it all up, and you can see the shape of it. It's, 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 uh, it's very thin and delicate in a, in a certain way. Um, so, um, so finally, here, here's the door, and you can see that uh, it's pinned right here and right here. So it had to be very, very precise and very strong to hold that 200-pound uh, door and be able to pivot and open and close like this. It's made out of copper, and when the sun comes up in the morning, it dapples all these little beautiful patterns of, of dots and ellipses on the ground. And then at night, when you pass by, the, the house lights shine through, so you get this little... Um, uh, uh, glowy little starry night kind of thing as you walk through it, you know. And the, the, the thing I liked about um, the final solution was 
I got the full circle with the gate. The keyhole is just part of holding up the circle. So it was different than a Chinese moon door, which usually is a circle that you either step over, because it's just about the negative space, or it's the keyhole. But uh, in this case, it's the gate itself that makes the full circle. So anyway, I just want to show you this because I'm still experimenting around. Like um, I thought it was going to be a disaster when I couldn't get the foam off the concrete. And um, I, I, I actually tried to torch the foam off, and it did nothing but make it stick tighter. But then we had a very cold day, very, very cold morning. And I went out there, and I, I started with the razor blade. And all of a sudden, like chunks about this big started peeling off. And I realized that the cold uh, contracted everything and it able to peel off that, that coating. So it came all off, finally. Um, so my client, my next client that you know, wants one of these doors will not have to suffer these uh, vicissitudes of, of the process. You know? um, so I like to experiment on myself first a little bit and then go out and uh, impose them on my clients. So um, uh, people ask, well, then what happened? Uh, how do you get into product design and things like that? Really, again, it's this progression of scale, working uh, on smaller projects um, uh, uh, for my clients. This was back in the uh, late 80s and, and early 90s, you know, when the professional stove started happening. And I realized that um, there were really no good hoods uh, and ventilation. Um, and, I, and I saw the hood as, um, as sort of something um, subconsciously I always associated with respiration. And also, uh, I was kind of uh, protuberance challenged, you know? If, you, if I turn my profile here, you, you see it's, there's not much there. And so I made up for it in my kitchen hoods by figuring like I'll, I'll make bigger kitchen hoods so there you go, you know, you can't get much bigger. My Jimmy Durante hoods here. Um, uh, so these hoods were not available anywhere. You couldn't buy these hoods, so I made them. And um, uh, I, I made a series of hoods, and, I, and, and I, I actually tried to start a business selling them. It was a very foolish move because I knew nothing about distribution and anything. So I'd go around to uh, the kitchen and bath show, and I'd pass out postcards saying I'm making these big hoods. And uh, we got a few orders. Um, here, here's another one that I designed and, and had manufactured. It was called the Titan. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the lowest price point was 20,000. So uh, it was very hard to sell these in quantity. Um, so this was in a kitchen that I had designed for a client. And people began to notice these hoods. Um, and a particular company called Zephyr uh, asked me, well, can you design something at a little lower price point that we could sell? So I worked with them, and um, I started, I took that Titan design, and I, I sort of did some drawings of how we could reduce it for a mass market audience, and there it is. Um, uh, it has the same flavor of the big one that cost 20000 but I began to learn how to do the detailing that in production could make it easier uh, to produce and at a lower price point. So um, this hood is still available through Zephyr. Um, I designed another one called Padova, and the idea was um, 
that you could change the panels to whatever color you wanted. In this case, it was red for autumn. Uh, if you decided that um, uh, someone else came and bought the house and they hated red, they could change those panels and replaster them or put mosaic or anything. So it had versatility. Anyway, that was uh, the idea here. So this kind of thinking came out of the design work that I did for my own clients, but then became a product. So uh, the last one is just um, showing you, this is the latest version. Um, we um, have a rose-colored Okianito hood. Um, very simple. What I like to think of is um, that these designs can go in uh, multiple stylistically. It can go into any environment. You know, if it's, if it's a little modern, it can head that way. If it's uh, a little more uh, uh, quasi-contemporary, it can go that way. Even, even in a classic kitchen, these hoods, um, most of them, like the Padova, could go with an Aga stove or um, one of the Bertolini stoves, whatever they call it. Bertolici stoves? Bertazzoni. Bertazzoni? Bertazzoni. Yeah. Okay, so then um, uh, as I g gained more kind of credibility in the kitchen and bath industry, then I was asked by LK uh, to design some sinks because they saw the concrete sinks and they saw that kind of idea of a landscape uh, with, the, with the concrete in the sinks and they said, well, do you have any ideas for us? Because we only make stainless steel sinks. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe there's a way to incorporate the thinking uh, behind the multiple functions of a sink and use the sink as a gigantic um, uh, countertop, but uh, with more versatility than just use as a sink. So I'm working with the CEO of LK in Chicago at the time, Mr. Scott, and um, uh, just proposing some ideas for their, for their sink company. And again, uh, unfortunately, the resolution is not very good, so you can't see the drawings. I, they're all hand drawings that I did. But uh, this was the result of that, that collaboration. So um, this is a six-foot-long sink, but it serves multiple functions because this cutting board slides along this top edge, and then here's a strainer that slides along a secondary ledge. And so you're able to um, uh, hide all the dishes that you didn't do um, with this screen. Um, you can put uh, multiple le le levels of dishes that you didn't do uh, in the sink without them all soaking in, um, in that brine. Um, so these are all things that I learned by um, omission, really. Uh, my wife uh, wanting me always to do the dishes and me not wanting to do the dishes, but having a place to hide the dishes that are in the sink. See, so that, that prompted this whole design. Um, but uh, seriously, the, the, this functions very well because uh, you can drain your vegetables on it by just sliding this tray. Um, you can do chopping. Uh, it, it, you could use this large sink in a very small area. Right? Even a, even a tiny kitchen, this is all you would need for your sink, cleanup, food prep. Uh, anyway, that was the idea. Unfortunately, this was launched in 2008, and it retailed for $5,000, and uh, it hit the economic wall like a ton of bricks, you know, and um, so they, they couldn't sell very many of them. However, 
Uh, every one of my clients has one of these. <laughs> it's a requirement of getting my design. Anyway, they're, they're very practical and they work wonderfully. So um, uh, the people who have them love them. So this was another sink I designed, and the idea was, oh, whoops, excuse me. Um, the idea was that, that the, the, um, the rack at the bottom would resemble um, like drops of water. Uh, the, 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 when, you, when you drop a, a rock in a pond and it causes the ripples. So this, this, this sink was called Ripple. And so the, even the cutting board has the circular idea. And then uh, this had the idea uh, evocative of, of ripples of water. Anyway, um, another loser and the uh, financial, <laughs> financial loser. That's why I have the shape creep booth. <laughs> keep trying, keep plugging away. You see, that's the, that's the whole point of this talk. Uh, don't let these little minor failures. I mean, they went into production, these things actually went into production, you know. Um, but uh, the necessities of the marketplace are very harsh. You know, if you don't sell enough at a high price point and you don't get those dealers out there, you know, pumping the field to get your product out there, you can have the best idea in the world. Now, I want to say, though, I've seen these ideas come out now with um, Blanco and um, uh, Franke and, and a lot of the, these ideas that I, I did back then are showing up in their sinks now because they're, they're channeling them into their smaller sink sizes. That's all, that's the, that's the difference. So um, I'm gonna kind of go through quickly. These are, these are um, some of the uh, projects that I've done in the kitchen and bath, in the interior kind of uh, scale, and then uh, show you how this has all led up to this final house uh, that, that I'm gonna show you anyway. So this is a Four Seasons condo in San Francisco on Market Street, very upscale. Uh, but this is the kind of kitchens that they had were installed there. And um, so uh, without expanding the space, but by two feet, um, this was the new kitchen. So we took that existing kitchen there. You can see the hallway right there. Um, it's right there through that door, you know, where that oven is, you can see uh, the new oven, right? Um, but it is about the materials here. This is concrete. This is a concrete piece with a wooden um, top. And the, the bottom of this is like a, a boat. It's, it's, it's swaled down so that uh, the, the gentleman uh, who owns this, his knees, um, uh, they won't bump against a hard edge. It's all soft, you know, because he's very tall. But the uh, wife is not so tall, so uh, it couldn't be too high. So you, that, that was the compromise in the design, but actually I took advantage of it and made a more sculptured bottom out of it. Um, this is concrete right here. Uh, this is made out of three-form polycarbonate in the hood, so it kind of glows. Um, but this was done about uh, six, six, seven years ago. So this is the bathroom in the, in the same apartment. Um, these are concrete uh, individual vanities and then separated by a slate and uh, pebble, little pebbles in between in the grouts. So I just took little Mexican pebble, eighth inch pebble, and instead of grout, 
uh, put those in so that they give a little bit more of a natural element rather than just tile and grout. It was a little, has a little slightly outdoor feel, you know, by having um, little Mexican tile right there in there. Um, and then the concrete lends itself to uh, being a little more earthy as well. So you see here is, the, is a ramp sink, and this is a perforated stainless steel little shelf. Uh, and then it, it all drains right there in, in, into there. So um, the concrete is very expressive at the smallest level. And that's one thing I learned about uh, working with the concrete is that because so much of, is it, uh, of its value is based on how you form it, then these little things, just like this little uh, knockout so that the stainless steel rod can slip down into it, um, gives it a detail that you wouldn't see ordinarily, but it is just as important as a car handle on a Tesla. You know, the Tesla handle or the car handle uh, automatically pops out or it flushes in right to the side of the, of, of the vehicle itself. Those kind of ideas are just simply what I'm applying here um, on a more static object that you wouldn't ordinarily think of in those terms. So here's another kitchen. Um, in that same complex, a, a, another owner, a different kitchen. And um, you can see the before. You, um, unfortunately, that is the same light fixture and that is the same window and the same view as, as this. So um, uh, that was the one thing we kept was her um, uh, uh, artichoke lamp uh, from uh, the Danish artichoke lamp. I forgot the designer's name, but it's very famous. And so that's what we kept. So here you see the uh, concrete, you know, it can have very subtle kinds of details, like this, this, this little bit of concrete rises up so that no water collects uh, on that wood. Uh, you are listening to a talk from the Westage Design Fair in 2015, featuring Futeng Cheng of uh, Cheng Design. We'll be right back. I know you love talking about great partnerships the same way I do. Let me tell you about an incredible design partner who is working with us on the Convo by Design Remote Design House Tulsa project, Franz Wigner, a company created in 1899 in Attendorn, Germany. They started manufacturing brass beer taps. In 1921, the company expanded to Buenos Aires, manufacturing brass faucetry. The company launched in the U.S. in 1992, and Franz Wigner Premium Collection began in 2008. Franz Wigner crafts high-quality, premium faucets with the objective to create a design-oriented luxury product that exceeds the standards set by world-class designers and architects. Pretty heady stuff, and they do it. If you see a Franz Wigner faucet, it is stunning. You use Franz Wigner faucets, and they perform flawlessly. Product you can depend on after over 120 years designing a truly stunning faucet line. For more information and to check out the entire line of faucets, visit franzwigner.com. So I'm going to spell it for you, right? <laughs> F-R-A-N-Z-V-I-E-G-E-N-E-R.com. Thank you, Franz Wigner. So um, the concrete is very expressive at the smallest level. And that's one thing I learned about uh, working with the concrete is that because so much of, is it, uh, of its value is based on how you form it, then these little things, just like this little uh, knockout so that the 
stainless steel rod can slip down into it um, gives it a detail that you wouldn't see ordinarily, but it is just as important as a car handle on a Tesla. You know, the Tesla handle, the car handle, uh, automatically pops out or it flushes in right to the side of the, of, of the vehicle itself. Those kind of ideas are just simply what I'm applying here um, on a more static object that you wouldn't ordinarily think of in those terms. So here's another kitchen um, in that same complex, a, a, another owner, a different kitchen. And um, you can see the before. You, um, unfortunately, that is the same light fixture and that is the same window and the same view as, as this. So um, uh, that was the one thing we kept was her um, uh, uh, artichoke lamp uh, from uh, the Danish artichoke lamp. I forgot the designer's name, but it's very famous. And so that's what we kept. So here you see the uh, concrete. You know, it can have very subtle kinds of details, like this, this, this little bit of concrete rises up so that no water collects uh, on that wood. Uh, so little, little things um, uh, in the concrete towner itself. You know, I, I'll take little industrial parts and cut them up and mix them with a, a little um, piece of mineral here and, and just create some sort of abstraction, a little detail within the countertop itself. So, you know, it's something you can't find with Caesar stone or you can't go and get it at uh, the Corian or Zodiac. No, they, they won't have this because they have to mass manufacture everything. And... Um, um, I like to play a little bit with scale here, so you see the thickness of the wood um, changing the scale, so getting away from the three-quarter inch cabinet. That relentless three-quarter inch is because of plywood and, and the, the, you know, the efficiency of using that. Um, but this is a way to break out of that and have something that looks very custom, but it's just made out of the same material trying to get away a little bit from the ubiquitous uh, cabinet handles everywhere. You know how they, they become this mass of handles uh, uh, on the kitchens because, yeah, it's, it's good to have some handles, but um, uh, by making, creating negative spaces, you can also create handles and reach-ins and things like that that, that change the tone of the, of the cabinet itself. So I'll even go in and uh, for this client, I actually, um, you know, went into the shop and, and made that little detail. So, um, uh, again, you know, I could be working on a wall for a, an entire house, or I could be working on the wall of a backsplash of a kitchen uh, in the, the, the in-between of the tile and making the little thing. And I find as much satisfaction of successfully doing that as designing... Um, the wall of a house. So um, all of a sudden, scale doesn't matter. You can, you can realize it works both ways. If you get a small project and you put that much intent in it, then you can have as much fun as if you're building a big house and you're doing one part of the wall. You know, it's just that for the house, you have to work every day for the next four years. And with this, you work four hours in the shop. So it, it, but it's no different, really.
So um, because I'm not a licensed architect, I, I'm a designer, um, I don't get that many houses. So this is house six after uh, my first house was in 1990, 90, from 90 to 93, and then I had another house, house two, 93, and then I had house three in 96. And so um, for me, it's, it's like being a pregnant elephant. I just gestate once every five years or so, and then I, I birth a new house, you know? And, uh, but now lately, it's, it's catching up with me. I'm starting to, you know, it's like those uh, fertility clinic. I somehow got into the fertility clinic, and uh, I'm producing more houses now, thank God. Um, but this was house six, and this was done in 2006. Um, and so now I'm applying the same ideas that I did in countertops into a scale of a house. And so... Um, you, you, you see here, there's these, these streaks of color. And I would do that in my countertops. I would take concrete and put a little integral color and lay it, whoops, lay it into um, a countertop, let's say. And in this case, I'm doing it in a wall. While it's being poured, I stop the trucks, you know, I stop the pumper, and they've pumped in so much into the form of the wall, and then I mix up some concrete, and then place it in there, and then they start over and they start pouring more concrete. And that leaves that little striation, kind of like a geological streak in the wall. And um, uh, that lends itself to getting away from the, the ubiquitous concrete retaining wall with the form tie holes in it. You know, you see that everywhere, right? But here you don't see any form ties. And... Um, those little things are, you know, creating these, um, creating this little geological uh, uh, sensibilities, um, animates what otherwise would be a very utilitarian uh, material. So this is the interior of that house, and then you see they were subject to a pot of a hood, no choice. <laughs> uh, and you see here, you know, blue streaks in here in the concrete and um, the, uh, the sense of scale and openness. Of course, this is in California. Um, so, uh, now in more recent work, um, this is a house in, on, in Tiburon that's under construction. And uh, I recently visited it, but unfortunately, again, the, the resolution of this is much better. These are my drawings for the house. Um, and um, I'm standing next to a concrete wall here that's part of the kitchen. And uh, I, I designed the whole house, uh, but this is th this part, we had just finished uh, building this. And I just wanted to show you how, um, again, taking the scale and just upping it up a little bit here, you can create uh, some nice expression uh, in the wall. So these are all little rubber knockouts that I made in my shop and then I would put them against the form as they're pouring it, right? And uh, this was a big knockout made out of uh, foam, basically made out of foam, and we shaped it like you would shape a surfboard, and again, put that in the form. And that's the window, so when he looks out of this window washing the dishes, Bay Bridge, there it is. Beautiful, Golden Gate Bridge. And um, uh, it makes it kind of special, it's like the eye, you know, he's the, 
And he also, he can look over his kids and give them complexes about Big Brother, you know, watching him. So here you see that wall in my shop laid out. See, here's that knockout right there. And these are all the textures that are created um, that you saw in negative, but this is just laid out in my shop. Now this could have been a giant countertop, but it isn't, it's just a wall. Simple, just taking simple foam, layering it and shaping it, you know? It's no rocket science here. It's just, you know, just having fun making things in the shop. So finally, um, this house, uh, House 7, sort of represents the culmination of really all my experiences uh, uh, as a designer and uh, working with my hands and everything. Uh, this woman came to us uh, just for a countertop in 2008. So it was during the height of the recession, right? There was no work. And I was really getting a little worried because we had completed the job, house six was completed. There was no, really virtually no work coming in, new work, and we were just finishing up some things. And in walks this woman and she says, um, um, I hear you do concrete countertops. I'm building a new house and we have all the plans. I'd like a new countertop. And the long story short is she showed me the countertop that she wanted, and I said, well, that's not going to quite work because it's too big. And she says, oh, well, um, what would you do? She says, I, I like the, the countertop in this book. And she took my book and opened it up and said, who designed this? And I said, well, I did. And she says, oh, I thought you just did concrete. I said, yeah, the book is on concrete, but I did everything in the book. And she goes, Oh, well then who designed this kitchen? I said, I did. She goes, oh, oh, you designed this kitchen. Well, I'd like you to design my kitchen then. So um, this house was already under construction and they had dug the hole and done the site work and she was already in for almost a million dollars. In other words, 500,000 for the architect and 500,000 for the site work. And she wanted me to design her kitchen. So I said, okay, so I designed her kitchen. She liked the kitchen and um, she said, well, who did this fireplace? I said, well, you know, I did. Again, I did. <laughs> and she goes, I love this fireplace. I want you to do my fireplace. And then, so one thing led to another. And she says, I want you to do my interior of my house. I said, okay. So I met with the architect and, you know, um, I was going to start work on it. And um, then she saw a house in the book and she said, well, did you design this house too? And I said, yes. She says, well, I love this house. I want to go see it. So she flew down to San Diego and saw my number three house. And so from this one countertop that she wanted in 2008, bless her soul, she loved all the things that she saw and she began to see the deficiencies in the original design that she had. So she stopped the whole project and asked me to redesign it. So I redesigned it, but I didn't want to tell her to scrap everything. So I tried to work with what was there in that hole in the ground. So this is that project, okay? So there's the hole in the ground when I got the project. And uh, I started working on the design and it took, uh, she delayed the project by a year and a half. And um, is it, uh, let's see, okay. So there's the owner, 
and she has a wan smile on here because she didn't know if she did the right thing or not. <laughs> but um, she was very clever in that she told me my budget was exactly one million dollars less, but I had to build the same house, but my style. So uh, it was a big challenge, big, big challenge. So I had to meditate on it. <laughs> and I started dreaming about what would this house look like? And uh, that is actually the meditation room that I had started to design. And um, I was dreaming that the house would look like this. Um, so uh, a little, a little um, an omen came, this, this harbinger. This, this dove uh, planted her nest in the meditation room while it was under construction. So we stopped the construction so that she could lay her eggs in the meditation room. It was so fantastic, you know? Uh, so um, after that, everybody thought that this place, you know, this house was going to be blessed. So here it is. And what you're seeing is about a year and a half to two years of construction that just went by. <laughs> because each layer was poured, layer by layer, and I had to do, you know, what I was doing with the concrete that you saw in the other house, right? So I would be on the job working with them, and for instance, we pour a sample, you know, a sample of the walls and stuff. And um, gradually and gradually, you know, the house started to take shape. And um, this was now about three years into it, okay. And um, now you can begin to see the, 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 the total shape of the house. And here's um, one thing I did here is I, I cast fabric formed columns. So here's how you make a fabric formed column. If you ever wanna make one, easy, lot of fun, no form, no skill required. So, look at this. This is just a piece of plywood cut to this shape, right? Cut to this kind of sensuous curve right here on both sides. And there's, on the opposite side, is another piece of plywood cut exactly the same way. The material is draped in there, right? It's draped and pinched, so it's loose. Right now I could push that material right through. And what it's gonna be is that's like a girdle or a sock, right? And you pour the concrete into that and it will expand into that shape. So here's how it works. So now I'm at the top here and I'm gonna pour concrete into that material. And I just got that at the surplus material shop. It's nylon, it's kind of a nylon polyester. You know, it could have been tablecloth for all I know, right? And here I am uh, pouring from the top. And that will eventually be the porch, the top of the, uh, of the overhang of the porch, what we're standing on. So this column is going to support all the weight of the concrete porch. But right now, it's, it's just a plywood platform. Okay. And then you can see here, he's, he's, he's pushing at it, right? So what is that doing? All the air is going out of the cloth. See, so the, all the bubbles that form, usually in concrete, and it leaves big holes, the, the, the fabric just lets the air go right through. 
So that's why he's pounding it like that. He's just kind of nudging it. And they're, they're just doing that. And you can take that thing and you can push your fist into it, right? Because it's just all fluid. So as designers, if there are any designers here who are interested in anything to do with concrete, um, uh, on this website, Concrete Exchange, um, you can see um, all the different videos on how to make uh, countertops, walls, fireplaces, um, any material, uh, any kind of sealers, colorants, um, high-performing concretes, whatever you want to do with using concrete as a decorative material, um, this is the site to go to, and you can, you can um, uh, see many, many, many years of my experience um, is just shown there um, uh, with instructions and, and everything. So it's a really great resource. And then if you uh, have a mind to go to our booth, uh, some of you I've seen there already, uh, but uh, this is, this is um, a product for you to begin at a small scale, like I said, and start small and um, make a shapecrete house. And I'd be very happy for that. <laughs> so thank you very much for your time and attention. If um, Annalyn is back here, if you need any information um, on anything, Annalyn will be happy to talk to you. Uh, if you have any, uh, I don't think there's any time for questions, but I I'll be at my booth. So if you have any questions for me, just go there, I'll be there. Thank you so much for your time. So listen, wallpaper's having a moment. A well-deserved moment that is allowing designers to craft and create in new and amazing ways. Convo by Design has a new partner this year. This partnership includes participation in our Remote Design House Tulsa project, of which you will be hearing a lot about this year. I've been working closely with an exclusive group of partners, and I am absolutely thrilled to be working with York Wall Coverings. This company has been crafting exquisite wall coverings for over a century, with an archive that dates back to the early 18th century. This deeply rich history provides inspiration for the future, and the designs available through the York Wall Covering Studio have long been lauded for their authenticity and craftsmanship. This art, artistry, and history combined with a commitment to continually reimagining the manufacturing process allows York Wall Coverings to provide a consistently exquisite product. For options and inspiration, find them online, yorkwallcoverings.com. You can also find their store locator tool online at yorkwallcoverings.com for a location near you. So there you go. Fun, right? And so interesting that these ideas were being shared in, what, 2015, before the world changed, and they're spot on today. This is exactly why design trade events like West Edge are so important. You are either hearing this before West Edge in Dallas, so you can still attend, or you are hearing this after the show has wrapped, in which case you will shortly be hearing all of the panels, and they're coming up soon if they're not up already. Either way, Make sure to check them out and make sure you make West Edge, if not next year in Dallas or in LA, sometime soon. Thank you to Convo by Design partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, Article Furniture, Franz Wigner, and York Wall Coverings. And thank you for joining me every week for these conversations. I do hope you enjoy them as much as I enjoy doing them. And give yourself a mental hug right now because you're doing great. And we're living through some very interesting times, both personally and professionally. It's gotten much harder to do business. And hopefully, being able to create wonderful and sublime spaces 
is a little easier from the information you get from these conversations and talks. So I hope that helps. Check back here every week for more stories of design professionals and creatives who are doing this at a very, very high level. Get some new ideas and inspiration to take your firm to the next level as well. Until next week, be well and take today first. 